What if community wasn't a strategy? What if a community was part of your business model? What if it was just part of doing business? I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius. Huge shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and making this podcast come to life. And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. Before we start, I need you to know that I am not wearing a bra. <laughs> I would Before have been. Before we start, I need you to know I'm actually wearing an underwire bra for like one time ever because I'm going into the city for lunch today. So I'm like legitimately like hooked up into my harness. Who? <laughs> okay. Bras. So, bras. Okay. But let me just tell you this really hysterical yeah. story about Everett last night. So Everett's going to bed and Ben's like kissing him good night and Everett's like stole Ben's superpowers like pretended to steal something from him and said I stole your superpowers and literally goes I'm storing them in my boobies and like literally like pretended to tuck them into his boobs <laughs> and we're like oh my god like three-year-olds are so weird you're just like yeah. you're storing daddy's superpowers in your boobies he's like yeah I'm like all right hopefully they give wow. you good like good sleep you know <laughs> Okay, so Margaret, uh, we were in San Francisco last week. We were. SF. Look at us. Don't call it San Fran. No, don't say San Fran. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe we should tell everyone why we were there. Yeah. When you work for yourself, you get to decide what is a work trip. And we decided that Startup Grind was a great idea for us to go on for a work trip. And it was. Let's be clear. Margaret went to Startup Grind because a client was sponsoring and giving a talk there. And I went to follow Margaret and spend time with her. (laughs) I was trying to make it a thing. I literally, like, shout out to the Startup Grind folks. You did not know that I was hustling to make Startup Grind a thing this year in, in the in the peripherals, I was getting a good crew, and it turned out to be amazing. It was really fun. We had, well, sorry, I didn't enjoy the conference at all for reasons we'll talk at about all? in a second. No, I didn't. I don't think it's the right format for me. And after talking to a few other folks, they were like, "Why did you do that conference?" And it's not a dig on the conference. The conference was very well executed, and there were really cool people there. Yeah. It's just I forgot that like if you're not there to make a transaction of some kind, mm. to form a relationship or make a sale, it's not the conference for you. I remember I was there and I felt like it was very transactional, whereas in other conferences, it feels like building relationships, developing community, like those are encouraged. That is clearly not the goal of this one, which is fine, right? Yeah. It's not a criticism. It's just that is the opposite of a conference that I enjoy because oftentimes the way I think about relationship building, I build friendships, not acquaintances. And so I play the long game in relationship building. It was so every, anyone who came up to you was like, had an agenda immediately. There was and a I lot just, of badge glancing, a lot of badge glancing. Do you remember the guy who came up to us 
and he was really nice. And again, this is just a mismatch of objectives. And he started like immediately hard pitching us on something. And he tried to pretend like the thing he was doing, which was like animal rescue or something, had anything to do with us as marketers. And it made no sense, but he was, he was really nice. Yeah. And he it was kept- creative to watch him, to watch him transition his pitch into something that maybe would work. I mean, it's hilarious. Again, the hustle was there. Yeah. But then he said something about animals and he, I think he asked if we had pets and I was like, I have a dog. And they just kept talking as if I never said anything. I was like, his name is Henry. And then he just keeps I know you talking. went down a rabbit hole on Henry yeah. while he was talking about his, his yeah. And I was like, do you want to see a picture? Like he didn't actually listen. And I'm like, that's part of getting me to continue listening to you is you like listening, responding, but he just yeah. kept talking. So I just kept saying, I'm like, here, this is Henry. And finally he was like defeated. And he's like, is that your dog? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> but God bless. Right. Like he's doing his thing. And it's all yeah. that conference was all about hustle. I will say there were a few talks, probably only two that I really, I was going to say you were sitting next to me and I heard you laugh sometimes during some talks I heard you groan a lot well okay so let's talk about just real quick sure there was a lot of groaning around any kind of marketing speak except for Ryan's we heard a few talks wherein folks talked about marketing as if what they were talking about was new and revolutionary and we were like that's just the same marketing that everyone's been doing for a long time. So there was one talk by two founders, there's co-founders, and they are new to the tech industry. Yep. And they gave their marketing strategy that was positioned as new an acronym And I was very excited to listen to it because these seemed like really cool, dynamic founders. I was interested to listen to them. Yeah. And they were very interesting and smart and charismatic. But what they presented was like... What we've talked about for the last decade. Yeah. There was like a a level of, what was it? Virality. There was a level of user experience. There was a level of, like, it was the stuff that I mean, again, like there was nothing wrong with the talk, but it just was like, yeah, like this is what we've been saying. (laughs) Yeah. But then you and I kind of looked at each other and realized, oh, if you haven't been in this industry for a long time, your understanding of marketing is different. And so it made sense that to them it was novel. And it made sense that you and I were just sort of like, we didn't get anything from it. But again, this wasn't a marketing conference either. So I think that's an important thing to note. Like this was a conference for founders. And I think- Well, and let's talk about the other thing that we saw, which we had so much empathy for the non-founders that were at home, the marketers who are probably getting Slack messages from their founders of images that they were taking from slides. So I don't know if this is, I think this happens at most conferences, but I think we were so present to it because- we understand this like founder head of marketing dynamic, which we won't go into today, but I think is becoming an interesting topic for us. Um, and we're watching these founders take individual like script pictures of slides that are up there without the rest of the context of the presentation. 
And I'm like, we were kind of like, oh, you know that they're slacking that to their head of marketing right now being like, this is what we need to do. And their head of marketing is like, yeah, that's like probably like buried in 0.5 of their marketing strategy, you know. Or they presented it like a week ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the founder said it was garbage and now all of a sudden thinks it's new and they should have been presenting it all along. Yeah, I know. We were like watching it happen, being like, oof, this definitely, definitely. And the follow-up thing is do this immediately. Yeah, yeah. It was always that. It wasn't just that like they were presenting something to us that we'd already presented and they'd either nixed or, but now they're going to tell us to do it right away. How fast can we implement this? You're like, well, six months ago, if you had listened to the elaborate presentation that I gave you. God bless. God bless. Sometimes I'm you need not a third party to say it is what I'm realizing as a advisor and, and consultant. Sometimes it's just a third party that needs to be in the mix. So much empathy. Sort yeah. Of. So that was Startup Grind. Ahrefs taught me SEO. It no. was our infrastructure at Animals. Yeah. Like yeah. that was part of our like tech stack. And everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like, what do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through Ahrefs. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go yeah. and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers. And it's also the fact, the reason that it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access. Competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yes. And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout. It was pretty important and aggressive and it kept me in my job a little bit longer. So So thank you for Devin's salary back then. Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Don't say Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Ahrefs. 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 It's funny now having friends who are founders because it's it's this funny thing where you see the same things that we saw as marketers, but now from the other side where they're talking more deeply to you. But one thing that came up a lot at the conference itself was community. Mm. And we consistently saw a understanding of community from the founders who were saying community words that it was very much a megaphone to them. It was like something they did at people, not with people. It was yeah. an acquisition of It was a thing you did something at. Yep. And that's something that you and I were really interested in talking about because that's not our beliefs about what community is. So my title at Envision was content and community manager. And Mm -hmm. when I first joined, it actually wasn't even the content part. It was just community manager. 
And I joined. And at the time, there was also kind of a, a peer group of community folks um, external. I think it was called like CMX or something like that. And so there was like this rising of community folks back when I first started at Envision. And it meant everything from social media to actual community building to field marketing to customer support (laughs) like it literally ran the gamut of those things and I think what's happened with community as a word is it never settled into a consistent definition amongst all of those practices and even more practices than that and so a founder or whoever will often just use whatever term maybe it was at their previous company, right? Rather than like zooming back up to saying like, what is community to human beings? And how does that philosophy of building relationships and belonging translate into a business practice? And it's obviously not never a megaphone. Yeah. There's so much in there that is important. Tease us out. Tease it. So one, I don't know that the communities they've been a part of help them understand the type of community they're trying to either build or join because a founder community is sort of different just based on the people you're surrounded by. It doesn't mean it's not community, but it's not typically the community that they're imagining when they're talking about it. Going back to the beginning, I was a community manager at SpringPad. It was the exact same thing. In fact, Back then, there was a customer service management tool where it was external. So either the community could answer questions, Mm -hmm. and my job was to moderate it. And so it's public-facing, and someone poses a question, the community can answer, and then the moderator can come in and sort of put their mega answer. Either refine it or bless an answer kind of thing. Yep. And that was how you did customer support in the world. Which makes sense. And especially in a PLG model where you have these free freemium users where you can't spend money for actual one-to-one customer support. And I think that's what we were seeing at that, that when we were doing it, it was right at the time where you needed some hybridization or some scalability of customer support because you had all of a sudden all of these free freemium users that you just literally can't pay enough customer success people to take care of or account managers or whatever they were called back then. Yeah. And those things still exist. You know, I recently searched something for Apple and they have their own forums. They do Mm -hmm. exist. They're a bit messier. I don't find them the most useful but it does still exist in some form. I just think that format was really designed for user experience. And these ones are a little more transactional. And then you did customer support on Twitter because mm-hmm. you used to have a customer support. First, it was you just used the same handle for everything. And then, and you did it everywhere. You had to answer questions on Twitter. You had to answer questions on Facebook, which is still the same. But back then it was all public. Yeah. It was all public. And so it wasn't quite as organized as it is now. And I think as these platforms became more sophisticated, they developed more tools to help people manage. And so what happened was instead of the brand being one whole human under one handle, you started separating it. 
It was like spring pad support, help scout support, which none of this I think is necessarily wrong or bad. It's just interesting to observe because once it became support versus the brand, I actually think that's an important break that might not have served us as well as possible because now the customer support folks are bearing the brunt of the anger Mm. on behalf of the brand. And they're kind of solving it themselves as if like they're their own entity. And now the brand is kind of over here and the customer support folks are responsible for making the brand the hero by fixing the problem. But you know how when you're like – someone's really mad about something at a company and they'll like yell at their manager, but you put them in front of the CEO and suddenly they're like really polite and, oh, it's fine, fine, fine. Because that's kind of the thing is like different people are meant to create different feelings. And I just think there was a little more power when it could be all under one brand. I know that's not really possible now, but I, I do think that was something that was a little bit lost. And those are the types of things that those little tiny nuances are where a lot of companies right now are missing the mark on community. Community is about nuance. It's about like almost an inefficiency at first. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes programmatic. So the more you invest in these seemingly unscalable things, what happens is if you build a really strong, robust community, and I saw this a lot at Cisco, Cisco really has these like robust communities around it. And it's because they facilitate and support them, the community runs itself and you have a free programmatic evangelism tool. Well, you have a captive audience of your primary target audience, right? You have like literally a pool of everyone that you want to market to. And I think you hit the nail on the head of like the reason that I think founders get this wrong is because they can't break their head out of scale mode, efficiency scale mode. Because you're so right, especially the beginning of community, everything is unscalable. Everything is slow. Like we think that marketing gets a bad rap because we think that like it's hard to to change human behavior at scale. And that's why like founders, that was what we talked about last season. And like that's the biggest rub of like why marketing doesn't give the time, get the time to do the things. Community is like even worse, right? Like it's like at least you can do some things to scale marketing pretty quickly. Like community is very slow. And so I think that's a really interesting point that you made. And then I think the other thing as I'm thinking about it is like when you, like communities of your target audience, of your customer base already exist, right? There's there's pools of these folks congregating already out there. Some have more robust pools than others. Some just don't really talk to one another. But like communities already exist in the world. And the idea is like you can first understand that, identify that and show up and be valuable to those communities. And then the second step is building your own. And I think that's the other thing that starts to get confusing is it's like, well, like we have a company, we've heard this idea of community. So we're going to build our own community without first going and almost doing like a market analysis of the communities that exist. Like how are these taking care of our customer base already? what is still missing? What could be more useful? And can I create a community around that thing rather than just like, oh, and I have a community too. What you're getting at there is the issue of timing. If you're at the point where you are saying, oh, we should build this community and let's do market analysis. My opinion is you've started too late and that's okay. Right. And you can still do it that way. That's a brilliant way to do it. But I think there's a way to do it in a 
incremental way if you start from the beginning. And I have an example from my very first startup job at SpringPad. I was working in customer support. SpringPad was a productivity tool, a very robust productivity tool in the days of Evernote and you know when all of those were first coming up and before we added features major features we would create beta versions that the community could test because the productivity community is very they're early adopters right they want the the thing first yes 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 those are the enthusiasts mm-hmm. they're very opinionated they care about it as a practice so I would, through doing my customer service, and often this was a tactic to turn haters into lovers, where we had this one guy who was always writing in, complaining, and he was always so frustrated. And finally, I said, hey, do you want to be a beta tester for new features? And gradually did that more and more, right? And so when we'd have these beta tests, I was in charge of not just getting them to try it, but then deeply like corresponding with them about their feedback, yeah. even if we weren't going to apply it. And what happened is they started to feel like stakeholders and this community started to build and I was very active. They finally just started writing me directly and we give them perks, you know, early access. They could then share it with their communities, et cetera. Over a very short period of time in which we were doing other marketing activities to grow, this community got so enthusiastic that they created, this was back when Google had the, what was it called? Yeah. I remember community. There was like a Google community. And they did a couple versions of it too. It was so bizarre. Oh, they really lived it along. Yeah. Because if you're like a Google Android enthusiast, like that, they were very excited about it. And well, they they're also it. so powerful that they were like prioritizing things. Like I remember if you posted something like you would post it on LinkedIn and Twitter. And if you posted it in the Google, whatever it was called, like Google would rank it better in search. So yes. it was like I was using it as just like a hack of like nobody even read the thing when I would post it in there. But I was like, well, Google will do something nice for me if I use their silly Google tool. You're really pulling out the memes, Devin. I feel like I hadn't thought of the Google, whatever. What was it called? I don't remember. This is actually really funny. What was that thing that Google tried called social media? Google Plus. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So my group of spring pad support community people, enthusiasts, eventually created a Google Plus community to talk about SpringPad, share ideas, talk about bugs. And we were active in it. It wasn't just me because we thought it was great. Yeah. It's amazing. We were like, it's, you know, it's it's free ideas and feedback. And it was a way to really harness those enthusiasts because they loved that we were a part of it. And so this happens, we really embrace it. We find ways to make those power users feel special. So then Art Gelwicks, who's one of the enthusiasts, he got really interested. And I forget how we eventually like met about this, but he was part of this other productivity group. And we together came up with an idea to do this thing called the Spring Pad Show, where we did it on Google Hangouts back when you could do Google Live 
hang out. I think you still can, but it was like kind of a feature they were really promoting. Like that's how we used to do product demos. Yeah. I used to do product product demos to the press over Google Hangouts. And I need you to know also that I had a karma where every single time something would technically go wrong behind the scenes that I had to, it was like, it became my thing. So anyway, you're so, like just streaming a video that you had made before. <laughs> that. Like, ah. So Art and I came up with the Spring Pad Show, which is objectively the nerdiest thing you've ever heard in your life. But what we would do was because uh, Spring Pad could help you organize different areas of your life we would pick a topic and then go through how to use SpringPad for that and kind of do the similar podcast to what we're doing now, really pick it apart. It was so nerdy, but it turned into the community loved it so much. And it, again, we're talking about the vocal minority Yeah. where if you think about who's the author that wrote Nassim, something who wrote the thing about like minority, how like minority rules everybody because- you can Google it. Yeah. yeah. So this whole concept of like minority rules the larger group that was us. And so like the volume wasn't that high, but they were very influential. And it was just this nerdy show we did once a month. The company embraced it. They were like, sure, this sounds interesting. And it got to the point where we ended up developing a program with product, like famous productivity people who then came on and I would interview them for the show. And they presented it to our investors, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it turned into this whole thing that came from And there's a point in here, I promise. Us harnessing the enthusiastic users in a more public way. And here's the point. Founders right now, one of my friends who I was talking to saying he's going and talking to 10 users a day or something. The problem is when you keep it uh, segregated like that, he's gaining a lot of information, but they're not... In the same way. They're not hyping each other up the way that they can in a public forum. Yes. And I think that is a way that you could transform early stage product strategy to start building community as you build the product so that it isn't this big investment. It isn't a zero to, you know, whatever thing. It's you're slowly growing it along the way. And let me tell you. After I left SpringPad, that Google Plus community wished me a happy birthday every year. Until they pulled the plug on Google Plus as a service. Yes. But I think, Devin, I think this is so important because I was doing the same thing that you were probably at the same time. But for me and at Envision, it actually wasn't about the product at all. It was all just like design stuff. And I feel like you're talking like like it was very like product users and power users. We actually went the opposite approach, not the opposite approach, but we went to like maybe designers that had never even heard about us before, mm-hmm. right? And like going to those types of folks and saying, hey, what are your thoughts on this thing? And then I would wrap it up into a content piece. And then to your point, eventually it became that we had so much inbound interest for these content pieces that then it was like, oh, well, I need another offering. So we did a show. So it was called Design Talks. And I would have really interesting designers come and do a 30-minute presentation. And then we would open it up to Q&A. But it was at the time when like Q&A was still rough in a streaming app. So it would be Q&A on Twitter. And then they would all use the same hashtag. So then they could kind of see what it was. They could see who was there. People started to come religiously, whether it was like once every week, once every two weeks 
to the point where you're like, yeah, I had this guy that always wrote me an email afterwards being like, hey, Maggie. I'm like, I've never gone by Maggie in my entire life. It would just be like from like Brazil would just like email me every time and be like, hey, Maggie, great show today. (laughs) But it was so consistent and so nice. And I think that it's really funny that we were both kind of building the same program. Um, We were building one that we probably could have made it more product focused. And I think there was probably later teams at Envision that did bring it more into the product a little bit. But we were. I don't think that's necessary. I think it's really fun to not do that because I'm somebody that likes to work at product companies. I kind of like to build marketing that doesn't really attach to the product at all. Well, right. And it made sense for our product because our product was very complex. Yeah. And we just needed to make it the hero in order for people to be because we were trying to make folks more active and show like, you know, update the DAOs, right? So the DAOs, the MAOs. So yeah, community doesn't have to look like one thing. There's so many different approaches. There's so many, you know, HubSpot did it through education and certification. Yeah. And how that all comes together in my brain is, what if community wasn't a strategy? What if a community was part of your business model? What if it was just part of doing business? And so you're not thinking about customer support versus marketing versus product. Instead of community sitting over here as a tactic, community sits up here. And that's where you get into this thing that Ashley and I are going to be giving a talk on later this year about this internal influencer or and many internal influencers leveraging your team in their own ways and their own communities to create an ecosystem around not just the product you're building, but the philosophy behind it. Yeah. Because the product itself, sure, if people like it, they'll recommend it. What makes, what made HubSpot legendary is they created an ethos. Like they had a, you know, they had a concept about content marketing. So there was more for people to latch onto because it became about them. Yeah. This is how I like consistently think about it. It's not transactional. The goal is to make people feel or understand that they belong, right? You belong here. This is for you because I understand so deeply who you are. I am just like you in these ways. And so this product is for you. This community is for you. This content is for you. Everything that I've created is like bespoke to help you, right? And it's like this altruistic like encirclement of your target audience. I always go back to this and I like have conversations with people and I always get back to the point where like, I think it is so wonderfully absurd that any human being can have emotional resonance with business software. Like, That to me is just the most absurd thing on the face of the planet is if I can be so good at marketing, at community building, at brand building, that somebody sees a logo for a software that they use at their business and they have a positive emotion or feeling that they belong like from using it. Like how wonderful is that? Here's how I'm going to plus one that. And I can't even believe I didn't like, so you're right. And then... I immediately remembered that four days ago, last Friday, when I was in SF, I was out of my mind excited to go to Atlassian because Atlassian 
my very, again, going back to spring pad, first job in a startup, we used Jira, Mm -hmm. we used Confluence, and those tools were a huge part of my life starting there and continued on through. I've used Atlassian every single company I've ever worked for, Yeah, you know, tech company. And I need you to know that it was like a holiday for me. Ashley, God bless her. She planned this whole day out for me. I walked in and saw the folks who worked at the front desk. And I was like, I am so excited to be here. I wore my tag like right in the middle of my shirt. They were like, you are so like, I messaged a friend and FaceTimed with him to show him around the office. Like it was because I love Atlassian so much because it reminds me, it is the example of my entire coming up in my career. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel that way about Buffer, even though I haven't used Buffer as a product Mm -hmm. in so long, because like I learned so much from them growing up in my, in social media and marketing and community marketing. I like poured over those blogs. I feel like I knew like the folks that worked there because they were so external facing and so like public and so I don't know, sharing their whatever. And I think that's the thing is like, you can't do it with a business brand. You feel emotional resonance because you understand the people behind that brand. And And Buffer was really good at that. Yeah. So is really good at that. Zapier is another one. MailChimp, Customer.io. I never ever got to use Customer.io. I tried to implement it at my company and at a company I worked for and the founder killed it in the launch meeting after months of planning. But they taught me so much about email marketing. And yeah, there's so many brands like that that I feel home with and totally still fangirl over, even though I'm not you. Trello. Oh, Trello. So good. Which Atlassian bought. So I was like, now you're bringing all my favorite like, I love you. But this is the thing, Devin. The funny thing is like you haven't mentioned any companies recently. You're mentioning all the companies from like eight years ago that really understood community and built like like how have we forgotten about this? Yeah. I think Slack does a pretty good job, even though yeah. I don't mention Slack only because I do not like online communities. I think they're wonderful, but I'm more of an IRL participant. That's where I get energy. So online communities zap me, including, and even internally using Slack really zapped my energy, even though I think the tool itself is wonderful and very community driven. And I've been to one of their events here in New York. Like I do think they do a good job on the community front, but um, yeah, there aren't there because I think too, there's this thing of like, when we were coming up, a lot of these tools were maturing at the same time, along with the developments in the tech industry itself. So we got to see them evolve. Yeah. And that made us feel, or that, for me at least, that made me feel more a part of it. I had a thought recently that I'm not, it isn't fully formed yet. Hey, Devin, do you know what the best part about our show is? tell me we make so many new best friends that hang out with us every week it's kind of weird that we don't see them hanging out with us every week but we really really appreciate the folks that do and so if you want to be in our lives and us in your ears 
on a weekly basis. I want you to go and find that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. And let's be friends forever. And please rate and review because it really helps support the show. We love you bunches. Obviously, we've been hearing a lot about AI. I was going to be silly. I was going to be like, give me that lump of clay and let's turn it into a beautiful piece of pottery. Yes. Yes. Well, it's art, which you're doing a lot of. So that's we should. <laughs> that's important. I actually used to do pottery. So the, the clay thing really works. The clay thing really resonates. Yeah. <laughs> you created give me resonance. that lump of clay. You created resonance with clay. So, everyone's been talking about AI, and Mm -hmm. we've already addressed the various narratives around AI. My experience talking about it, listening, you know, speaking with folks who are harnessing it, I believe that AI has the potential to build a strong community around it, similarly to the way that we did at SpringPad, because... It is something that a lot of people want to use but don't know how yet, and I am one of them. I was asking Ronnie Higgins the other day, we were talking about AI, and I said, you know what, I really want to experiment with it, but I, my biggest problem is that I don't know how to prompt it. I don't know how to get what I want out of it. There's so many tools. I think that if you're an AI company, especially in the marketing world, that there is a huge opportunity to build a community that's really freaking fun because yeah. I've had folks present prompts that describe me and then read it back to me. And I couldn't believe how uncannily accurate it was. And there's a lot of play to be had. There's a lot of creativity to be had. And if you are an AI company like writer or Jasper, Jasper might already be doing it. I'm just not PS. I'm not super deep in this community in this ecosystem yet. So it might already exist, but you could take the like harness the enthusiasts to help other help lift others up who are trying to adopt it and thus create a huge community around you and your product you're the opportunity to be the you know hubspots the atlassians the mailchimps in the world who were bringing people they were bringing us content marketers along as the content marketing industry was maturing and evolving in the tool Tools were changing constantly. Google yeah. Plus is here. It's gone. Facebook, it's personal accounts to spread your business. Now it's business account, right? I think that's a really interesting thing that could be like, I, when I think about an AI community for creatives, I think about a carnival. Yeah. Well, I think this is the thing too, is this idea that like a lot of early innovation looks like play. And I think that's, it's like this nice overlap with community because human beings like to play. It's like that also gives that you that emotional resonance of like, I want to do this. This feels fun. I'm interested. I'm willing to like put time and effort into this community, not because I'm thinking about like, oh, I have to do time and effort in this community, but like I get to go play here. Like I want to go play. And I think that's a really interesting spot to live at is in this play place. And that's often a lot of innovation actually comes from things that look like toys originally. Like the first thing is a toy and then eventually there's a use out of it. Yeah, that whole concern about AI being the primary content source in the future. I 
I don't think about it that way. Like, I think that's just like a, like a way of thinking that I'm not particularly interested in. And I don't think matters because I'm the perfect example of, I am an external processor. And so often the content creation process. No, (laughs) really? So perfect. (laughs) I know. I know. I want to (laughs) We love a self-aware queen. (laughs) Let me tell you something revolutionary about I know. me. I don't know if you all know this about me. <laughs> so I'm an external processor. It is very hard for me to just sit down and write something. I'm a very slow writer. And one thing that's always – one of the reasons why Help Scout was one of my favorite places to work was because it involved a lot of collaboration in all different areas of the creation process. And since I was the director, I was often molding other people's clay mm-hmm. or working with others to mold a piece of clay, right? That yeah. There was a substance already there. And that worked really well for me because I work better when there's something already out there. And so AI to me is a great way for me to sort of take a bunch of thoughts I have use that to put it into a coherent thought and then break that apart into the thing I'm trying to say. And I even had my version of it yesterday where Christina Carson, she's a marketing consultant. I hired her to help with some of my personal consultancy stuff and some don't say content things. And yesterday we were workshopping our YouTube titles and descriptions to optimize them better for for search and discoverability. I wrote faster and more efficiently in one hour with her just going back and forth. Mm. What we did would have taken me an entire day and I probably only would have gotten one title and one description done. It's so efficient. And that's how I think about one of the many opportunities of AI. It's not even about the source material. It's about something that can enable me creatively. Yeah. And potentially help me think of even newer ideas than I spent all day trying to get my own thought out. Yeah. It's like it gets it out quickly and then I can iterate on that. So now I'm iterating on versions of my own thoughts faster because it just packages them a little bit quicker. And if we go back to the quality episode, that is the goal is can you get it out so you can iterate on it faster? And can you have more at-bats so that way you understand which facet that you're even trying to make more high quality. Yep. Yep. I was just listening to Hard Fork the other day and they were talking about one of the experiments that some scientists or someone is doing about having the AI talk to each other, creating like a little sim city where they're then talking to each other. And there was another similar model where the AI is like iterating on itself. And there's a lot of scary stuff in there, very interesting stuff too. But I like the version where it's like me and this AI thing trying to figure something out together and then it helps me get to my good place. So AI carnival community, it might already exist, but I really, I think there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. Just make more fun stuff. Yeah. Bring the fun back. Bring the fun back. Bring Bring the, I want the, I want the wide eyed feeling I used to have back. Here's what's coming up next on Don't Say Content. 
there's more productivity to be had for CEOs to have a better understanding of marketing than it is to create more marketers that are worth their weight in salt. And, and that to me, I feel like is the, the interesting choke point to me is can we get CEOs to, to speak the right language? Because one, part of the problem, there's two thirds of marketers kind of suck. There's some industry responsibility around like us being a little snowflakey, but there's another part of they're not getting what they need to get better because yeah. either, you know, on the startup side, it's like lack of resources, lack of ability to keep doing something, make mistakes, et cetera. And then on the you know larger company side, it's like kind of the similar thing actually. Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you as always for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Come sit down by the fire, youngins, and let me tell you about the time that Google tried to make a Facebook. (laughs) 